1: This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio.
0: Good morning and happy new year. It's Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Matt Jones with you on this January 1 bright and early. Evan Canty and Michelle will be back tomorrow to get you ready for the national championship. Because by this time on Tuesday, we will know. Who will advance out of the CFP semifinal games, which we have right here on ESPN Radio later this afternoon. We have so much to get into, Matt. From another wild day in the NFL, Week 17, this is Pete Rozelle's dream. You have games that matter down to the very final moments of the 2023 season. And as we turn the page to 2024, I think there are a couple things that we know here. Lamar Jackson... Pretty sure he's getting his second MVP award. The Philadelphia Eagles are not a very good football team right now. And on top of that, the showdown that we're going to have for the AFC East uh, for Sunday Night Football in week 18 between the Bills and the Dolphins might be in that game of the year category.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. First of all, there's only one team in the NFL that I feel like you can trust at all, and it's probably the Baltimore Ravens, and that's a team that in the last few years you haven't been able to trust in the playoffs at all. So I think that makes it very exciting. It does set up for that Bills-Dolphins game. There's probably eight games on the last week that are exci- that have like playoff implications, which is obviously great for the TV networks. It is interesting, though – it's like mediocrity defined across the league you sit there and you go well in the nfc if i have a 6 seed rams team i'm sure they may be playing better than anyone else and in the afc you know you've got the texans and the colts if they get hot in a particular game would you be you know would it be crazy for them to beat almost anybody else i don't think so so i really like it I really I like chaos in sports. We've had chaos in college football. We've had chaos now in the NFL. To me, that's when sports are at its best.
0: And we will have plenty of chaos for you over the next four hours here on Unsportsmanlike. You can join in the conversation on the Dr. Pepper call in line at triple eight say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious Taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that, again. that fans deserve. We have so much college football action to get into, but let's start with these Week 17 games. The big one taking place in Baltimore. The Ravens having no problem handling this Dolphins squad. 56-19. to You're hearing that score correct. Lamar Jackson on another MVP-like performance from him yesterday following up what he did last Monday in San Francisco. This is a team now that has locked up the AFC's number one seed, so the road to the Super Bowl through the AFC will end up going through Baltimore. Let's hear from Lamar Jackson following this win on what getting home field advantage means for the Ravens going forward.
2: Knowing that we still have a lot to get um, going on, you know, we uh, got to fringe this season the right way. We had one obstacle. We finished that obstacle. Um, we got Steelers next week. That's how I'm, that's how I'm Snap focus this season, just taking it one game at a time like I've been
1: preaching to you guys all season.
0: All right, so Lamar, 321 yards passing, five touchdowns, no interceptions, 35 yards on the ground as well. His contributions here over the last couple of weeks to solidify his case as the MVP, like, of course, that's what we're talking about this morning because this game wasn't in question. I have no qualms about this Ravens team given what they've shown us. The last couple of weeks, they go on the road and beat Jacksonville. They go on the road and beat the San Francisco 49ers. And then to go back home and do this against a Miami Dolphins team who, you know, very well may end up seeing them again in the postseason at some point. I don't know if there's many holes that you can poke in what the Ravens have in their resume and what they've done this season, Matt. What I do know is that these final games and the jockeying for positioning in that MVP race has certainly helped Lamar's case and what he's been able to do to build his case against Brock Purdy, keeping fending off Dak Prescott here, any late stretch, and we'll get into what happened in that Cowboys game. But it is really impressive to see because Todd Munkin's offense, and you saw him on that TV a lot yesterday, they kept showing him and highlighting all the work that he had done to get this group where it's at right now, where you're getting major contributions from Zay Flowers from even from you know that incredible catch from Odell Beckham yesterday as well those are the things that make this Ravens team a formidable opponent in the 2023 NFL playoffs and that's what makes them a scary threat because this was not the same offense the last time we saw this team in the postseason
2: Yeah, I mean, with Lamar, first of all, what a, quote, machine there. Every every complete phrase that means nothing we hear over and over. I love Lamar. When he was at Louisville, he said all kinds of interesting things. The NFL has sucked all that out of him. But what it hasn't sucked out is his creativity and ability to play. And you're exactly right. By changing the offense, where he's now able to throw and have receivers that can get open, guys like Zay Flowers – I think it has uh, you know, helped him reach a different stage of his game. Now, whether or not that's going to translate, I think it will, actually, in the postseason, but we have to see it. But what I loved yesterday was I felt like that game against the Dolphins was a definite show-me game. The Dolphins have annoyed me, Courtney, probably more than any other team. I love Tyreek Hill. I love the way they play. I love their the explosiveness. I love Tua. But I just – and I, I want to like Mike McDaniel, but there's something about a guy who thinks – in about a year, it's like he decided he was cool in the last year, and yet he hasn't done anything that I have potentially thought was all that impressive. And yesterday he got a smackdown. He, it was a complete smackdown by Lamar and the Ravens. They were dominated from start to finish, and I think the Dolphins will be a joke in the playoffs. And I kind of think they are where the Ravens were two or three, four years ago where a lot of what worked for them wouldn't translate in the postseason. But I do think, Courtney, this year it does for Baltimore – And if there was ever a year for Lamar to go and win a Super Bowl, I think this is the one because they have a matchup advantage against the teams that they play for the most part. And the teams that give them trouble, those hard, physical, defensive teams, there aren't a a lot of those at the top of the NFL this year.
0: They put up 491 yards, 56 points on the Miami Dolphins. So kind of flipping the script for what the Dolphins did earlier this season against the Denver Broncos, a signature win back then. They had the win against Dallas, but you can look at their schedule this year, look at their body of work and say, who have they really beaten? They had the opportunity to go do that on the road yesterday. They didn't come away with a win. They did come away with some really unfortunate injury news. We saw Bradley Chubb go down late in the fourth quarter. This was a thirty point blowout at this point. They were trying to finish out the game. They were trying to just get through and then get back down to South Beach. But he ends up leaving with a non contact injury and you' got to hear this from Mike McDaniel, clearly remorseful for the decision to play Chubb at that point of the game. I would like a time machine for sure uh in in that in that situation after. The events occurred, um, but you don't know that when you go into it and you, you you do the best you can. I think the players, the the players, uh, didn't see the result of the game looking at looking the way it did. You know they're they were hungry to get
3: right, and it didn't work out for us.
0: That was head coach Mike McDaniel of the Miami Dolphins. Bradley Chubb, the fear right now, the reports are that it could be a torn ACL. Xavier Howard was also injured in this game, Tua dealing with a banged-up shoulder. He did say afterwards, Matt, that he thinks he'll be good, but injuries are getting this team at at a really bad time. We know Jalen Waddell didn't play in this game because he has a high ankle sprain, their running backs are banged up, and sometimes, I know it sounds simple, sometimes it's a matter of can you stay healthy enough week 16, 17, 18 to be able to get into the postseason – To be able to to, to lock up that number one seed like the Baltimore Ravens have, they're not going to play anybody next week. I I heard what Lamar's saying. I, I get it, but they have their chance to get rest right now. They have their chance to get healthy, so then come the divisional playoffs, when they're playing their first game, they'll be in a far better spot than anybody that's going to be playing week one of the postseason.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Go back to Mike McDaniel. I mean, I, while he does annoy me, it's not his fault. The guy got hurt. That happens. You can't. You're not going to know a guy can get hurt. He could have gotten hurt on the first play. It stinks. I know. Like he said, he wishes he had a time machine. But that's football, unfortunately. But the injury point is a big one. You know, during Sunday night football last night. Uh, they showed the list of quarterbacks, and there are only seven quarterbacks that have played every single game this year that have started. And if you look at those, six of them are in the playoffs, and another one, Baker Mayfield, still may get into the playoffs. Being healthy, especially at the quarterback position, is really what it's all about. If, the, if you're healthy, you make it. If you're not, you don't. Period. Period. That's the that's the whole game in my opinion. And we'll see. Right. It's all about when they get to this point, who is healthy. It does seem like the Ravens are as healthy as anybody. But I will note though about this time off. You gotta think about how many years in a row we've had wildcard teams actually make the Super Bowl. It's a lot. It's like something like seven of the last nine. Sometimes sitting out. So let's take the Ravens. Mm-hmm. If they take next week off and then they have a buy. you're basically three weeks in, in between playing. It'll probably be okay for them, but that hasn't always been a recipe for success. So you do have to be careful sitting out if you have a buy because you get a lot of time off between your games.
0: Yeah, I, in 2017, I covered the Minnesota Vikings for ESPN.com, and that was the year that they locked up the number one seed. They ended up having that buy in the wild card round. And we all know what happened in the Minneapolis Miracle game. That came down to a miracle play because the team came out sluggish the mm-hmm. first half and it was a back and forth affair and you do have to guard against that. I-, I would say this about the Baltimore Ravens and what they've proven to us this year to know that this isn't this isn't a fluke. Like like the San Francisco 49ers, you know, a team that they beat last week They've built their resume upon bullying opponents with you know via defense, especially when they have to go on the road. Watching what they did to San Francisco last week against that offense with that many weapons, with that many guys going over a hundred yards, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and that not feeling like a close game whatsoever, to me that's the element that travels. But the bigger picture thing here is is that this offense is more than just Lamar Jackson. Sure, there have been moments where he's had to carry them throughout the throughout the season, moments where you're not getting a consistent Zay Flowers, who, again, was banged up yesterday. He ends up playing in this game. But the contributions that they've found elsewhere, whether it's Gus Edwards, whether it's Justice Hill, being able to compensate for those injuries that they had earlier in the season to Mark Andrews, to J.K. Dobbins, It feels like the timing of those, and yes, you can't control that, but the timing of when those happened allowed this Ravens team to adjust to get to the point now that headed into the postseason, their health and their direction are lined up, and that's, that's something that you can only hope for. A lot of teams are not able to achieve that sort of accomplishment and have that sort of luck, but sometimes if you're just the healthiest team going into that first week of the postseason, in their case, going into the second week of the postseason, that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. All right, plenty more to get into here on Sportsman. Like we are off and rolling. The Philadelphia Eagles, on the other hand, they are not. Plenty more coming your way here, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
5: keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply
1: this is the unsportsmanlike podcast on espn radio Evan canty and michelle are unsportsmanlike snap to golf looking, throwing it to the left it is dropped dropped by the tight end
3: mitchell we've had a bit of an unusual year you know, just because of the You know, the the margins of victory. But we knew this stretch was going to be rough, and uh, this is exactly what we needed.
0: Still haven't heard an apology from Brad Allen or his crew after the botched two-point call. Was he eligible? Was he not eligible? Did he report? Did he not report? Hmm. Still waiting on that. Maybe the NFL can get on that quickly on this New Year's Day. Courtney Cronin, Matt Jones with you on Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. And over on ESPN2, this show, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. You heard the call there on 105.3, the fan in Dallas. This was supposed to be the biggest storyline coming out of this game. It was supposed to be Jimmy Johnson's Hall of Fame induction into the Dallas Ring of Honor. And what an incredible moment that was for him at halftime. But it was marred, Matt, by the fact that there was a botched call from official Brad Allen, who was his crew was also part of another controversial call at the end of the Packers-Chiefs game a couple weeks ago, the non-call on a DPI, that ended up costing the De- the Detroit Lions a win. It was a 20-19 to win for the Dallas Cowboys. They escape at home, one of their lower-scoring affairs inside AT&T Stadium this year. And it leaves a lot of questions about whether this Dallas team got off scot-free in a moment where if this goes the other way, we're probably talking about Mike McCarthy blowing it once again in the late portion of a game. But now we're waiting to figure out, is this Detroit Lions team a formidable playoff opponent? I think they still are. I think they got—they were the product of a really bad call, a really bad situation at the end of the game. But we still, it's still a loss on their record. It still hurts their chances of getting the number one overall seed. And there was a considerable amount to play for for Detroit, despite the fact that they will get no seed lower than a three seed in the playoffs.
2: Well, first of all, they got robbed. I mean, let's let's be real. They got robbed. That was a complete joke of a call. Officials are the last people on earth that don't ever have to apologize about anything. Seriously. Those of you at home, grow up and be an official because you can do anything wrong. You won't lose your job. And when you're asked about it, you can look into the camera and just say falsehoods and everybody just says it's okay. You can look and say, oh, 70 is the one that told me they were eligible. No, they didn't. We have eyes. We saw the video. You're wrong. You, I'm not going to say he lied because I don't know the man, but he was at least confused and he stayed confused. I don't know why anyone, officials, do they not have social media? Can they not go look back and see that they screwed up? The NFL still hasn't apologized, probably won't apologize because because, again, it's the o- officiating is the only entity on earth where you can screw up and it's never your fault. Now, am I biased because I one time got, a su- got sued by an official? Yeah, but I won the lawsuit, and I hate the fact that officials are the only people that never have to say they're sorry. With that said, it's a huge, huge, huge mistake because what's going to probably end up happening is Dallas is going to get the two and Detroit's going to get the three, and when they play each other in the semifinals, which is likely, the game will be in Dallas because the NFL screwed it up. That is a complete shame, and there's, there's nothing that can be done about it. I don't blame Detroit. Detroit is better than Dallas, but they may lose at Dallas solely because A referee couldn't tell the difference between 70 and 68. And as much as I loved watching Jimmy Johnson, who at 80 years old has immaculate hair, that (laughs) is my takeaway from the game. The NFL official has made a conscious decision to screw up the playoffs and to who will host a major game by their mistakes.
0: Okay, so to catch you up on this, with 141 left, Dallas ends up giving the ball back for some Inexplicable reason Mike McCarthy decides he doesn't want to run it they end up not being able to close out their series they give the Detroit Lions the ball back and Detroit goes down and scores Dan Campbell says I want to go for the win they decide they want to run this trick play you see that you've seen the video by now Brad Allen looks like he's acknowledging Taylor Decker is eligible and watching this again and he said in a pool report afterwards that seventy Dan Skipper had reported as eligible, not Taylor Decker. So it ends up being illegal touching. After Decker goes out, but do Decker you think he lied, catches- Courtney?
2: Let's be real. Do you think he was mistaken or he lied? Because I, those are the only two options.
0: Here is what here's my take on it. I believe that when we heard from Dan Campbell afterwards, we'll, get, we'll hear from him momentarily because he was irate, and I do think that he is somewhat at fault for how this whole thing played out, but. When there are trick plays that are run like this, oftentimes pregame, you will have a coach, players go up to the officials and say, hey, in this situation, we're going to have an extra lineman on the field. We're going to potentially bring two of them over to talk to you to throw it off as a decoy look, but here's what we're going to do to make sure that everybody is eligible. I believe that Brad Allen got this information three hours before this moment and that in the heat of the moment, to put it le- to put it like just in layman's terms i think he had a brain fart i think okay, that so he had didn't a brain remember fart. It.
2: then it's, just come out and apologize it drives I, me crazy that the, he had the audacity to come out and say 70 is the one that did. that is just a complete falsehood it and does feel like a lie a in that fart. moment.
0: I get but, okay, you. Okay, fine. He
2: had a brain fart in the moment, but he said it an hour later, after we had all seen the video. I, mm-hmm. I can miss. Everyone makes mistakes. Oh yes, they do. So I am okay with the mistake. It happens. but the fact that an hour later he didn't say anything, and it is now Monday morning, and I don't know what time it is, but it's still dark outside, so it's too early, at some point the NFL has to apologize and they haven't, which means they won't. And that's what drives me crazy about this is the arrogance of everyone involved in officiating in the NFL that you can screw up
0: and never acknowledge it. Because they never do have to apologize. But they should. They, I, Matt, I'm with you on that, but to, I, I'll, I'll put my NFL hat on right now and tell you why they're not going to do it. Because they believe that coming out and admitting fault, whether it's for the non-pass interference call in the two, 2019 NFC Championship game to this call, that admitting fault to them ends up affecting their credibility, offens, ends up their affecting their product.
2: More the other way. When you admit fault, at least I understand that we're both living in the same rational world. When I sit and look at a person, say to me, 70, it purported, not 68, and with my eyes I see the opposite, I look at you and go, you are the most uncredible source in the, um, America. I mean, to me, actually, coordinate has the opposite effect.
0: I understand. And I'm with you on that. Here's what he had to say. So they do a pool report afterwards. You'll get one reporter who's able to, when there is a controversial call, you get a reporter from the local chapter of the Pro Football Writers Association of America. In this case, it was a Dallas reporter who went up to Brad Allen and asked, like, why was there a legal touching on the two-point conversion? And what Allen said, I'm going to read this verbatim. He said... Quote, so we had a situation where if you were going to have an eligible ineligible number occupy an eligible position, you have to report that to the referee. On this particular play, number 70, who's Dan Skipper, he is the extra lineman here, had reported during the game a couple of times. There were two other times that this had happened. And I'm kind of interjecting here, but follow with me. So he lined up at the tackle position. And according to Brad Allen, he didn't have to report at all because he had already been in the game. Number 68, who ended up going downfield and touching the pass, did not report. Very clearly, as Matt, you're pointing out there, we see Taylor Decker much closer to Brad Allen, not going, he's not going over to the referee in that moment ahead of a two point conversion to go ask what he did for Christmas. Like, there's clearly, clearly a conversation he he's, he's lying, that's going Corbyn. on at that
2: point. He's lying. He's either lying or he's still mistaken an hour later. And I don't, I don't understand why people won't just say that. Just say why. I mean, they will. People will crush coaches. They'll crush players. They'll crush Roger. Crush Roger Goodell. Why can't we just say, official? You either are completely wrong or you're
0: lying. Period. There's, nothing, there's no other answer. Well, they're getting crushed on social media. They're getting crushed by all of us on every sports talk radio station in the country right now, but it is what it is. They're not going to change a win or a loss based on an official's mistake, and that's why Dan Campbell was irate following the game. Take a listen to when he, this after the game when he was asked about where his frustration comes from following the 20-19 loss.
3: We can see the frustration in your face. Can you just explain where it comes from right now? Is it
5: the oh, what would you, be? would you be frustrated right now?
3: Mean, is it on the call? Is it on the execution? Is it, you know, what is it
5: I don't like losing, Dave. And that's what happened. We lost. And that bothers me. You know, it bothers me. I don't like having an L. That's the frustration. I'm sorry. I don't mean it at you.
2: And that's another thing, Courtney, by the way. It drives me insane that we find these guys only if they criticize officials. They can criticize anyone else, and it's fine. But if you say something about an official, you get criticized. That's absolute nonsense.
0: Yeah, it's a loss that ends up having playoff implications tied in with it. As you pointed out, Dallas gets the two seed. They're in line right now to win the NFC East. If Detroit gets the three, they may end up seeing Dallas. In the postseason, and that game would be taking place at 18C Stadium, not at Ford Field. And that's unfortunate that it came down to a mistake late in the game. There is still a lot to unpack here, though. Why did Dan Campbell go for it a second straight time when they were backed up at the seven-yard line? Why did Mike McCarthy give Detroit the ball back with 141 to go? We'll get into that later in the show, but coming up next, we'll give you our biggest takeaways from Sunday's slate of Week 17 action. That's right here on Unsportsmanlike, Courtney Kern and Matt Jones with you on
4: to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P slash unsportsmanlike.
3: Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, By visiting electricebikes.com. That's L E C T R I C ebikes.com.
1: This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio.
0: No CC today, but you've got this one, and you've got Matt Jones filling in for Evan Canty and Michelle on Unsportsmanlike ESPN Radio and over on ESPN2, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming down the pipe here, there's a lot to get to, and I know that we could talk an hour about the officiating decisions that cost the Detroit Lions a win on, Sunday, on Saturday, but Sunday had a ton of action, Matt, and I go to Sunday afternoon, the late window slate, the Seattle Seahawks, a team that has been in the playoff picture in the NFC for a couple of weeks now, getting an L at home at the hand of this Pittsburgh Steelers team. And it made me think, Geno Smith and the resurgence we saw from him last year kind of looks like what we're seeing from Mason Rudolph carrying the Steelers back into the conversation for the 7th seed in the AFC playoff picture. He didn't throw a touchdown yesterday, but he also didn't turn the ball over. 274 yards passing. And he had this offense in a rhythm that we just have not seen from the Pittsburgh Steelers all season long. Dare I say that he's this year's Geno?
2: Yeah, except I don't think he's going to end up in the playoffs, unfortunately. They did get their winning season, however, to uh, continue Mike Tomlin's streak. I was at the Steelers game where they were chanting for Mason Rudolph against the Patriots. They got what they wanted, and he's been really good. My big takeaway from yesterday is sort of the margin of error in the league is so small that even the good teams can come right down to the end to be able to win. The Chiefs got back on track against the Bengals, but that game easily could have gone the other way. The Bills and the Patriots. Patriots had four turnovers in the first half. Still, the Bills were barely able to win. And then the Rams, in what should have been a slam dunk for one of the hottest teams in the league, play the Giants, and it comes down to one point and a two-point conversion at the end of the game. What's amazing about the NFL this year is without great teams, you literally have a league where Arizona can go to Philadelphia and get a win. I think it's going to make for an exciting playoffs, but Courtney, I don't know if the margin between success and failure in the league has ever been smaller than it is right now.
0: This is what they wanted. They wanted parity. They wanted games down week 17, week 18 to matter, especially when they expanded the playoff format to include seven teams from each conference. Well, you got that. I mean, sometimes it means poor quarterback play and certainly a lot of quarterback injuries factoring in there, particularly with the game that we just mentioned. Seattle's dealt with them and Pittsburgh's dealt with them. But at least as of right now, it keeps things interesting in the playoff picture for those last two seeds. We know that the NFC has a couple that remain up for grabs as we enter into Week 18. All right, my next takeaway was the game that I covered, Bears and Falcons. Falcons very clearly have a quarterback issue that needs to be solved in the offseason. I don't know if Arthur Smith will end up being the head coach to make the call on that or not. They collapsed yesterday, but the Bears end up coming into possession of the number one overall pick, courtesy of Carolina, in a 26-0 defeat to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then that Arizona win that they had over the Philadelphia Eagles ensures that Carolina is going to have the worst pick, in the, the worst record in the NFL, so that pick becomes Chicago's. I don't know, Matt. I'm so close to the situation. I'm so tired of people telling me that, like, it's a done deal. Keep Justin Fields. Don't keep Justin Fields. Where do you stand on this? Do you think they should go after a new quarterback with that number one overall pick?
2: Yeah, it's tough. I'm a Bears fan and have wanted a quarterback that was good for a long time, and Fields is starting to come into his own. I, I- To me, you probably go with the number one pick and take Caleb Williams just because you get three years of him on a rookie deal, whereas if you don't, by next year, you're going to have to decide whether to pay Justin Fields, and I still don't know if that would be the right decision or not. But they're playing well, and they're exciting. And my next takeaway comes from your other part of that, which is they played against the Falcons. And I have a rule now for everybody out there. Do not ever, A, bet, or B, even watch the NFC South. You never have any idea what any of these teams are going to do. Falcons, Saints, Bucks. it is a complete cluster every single time. You know the Panthers will lose most of the time, but besides that, you have no idea. I don't understand these teams, Courtney. Every time they play, they give me an odd result. I thought for sure Tampa Bay would win yesterday. They did not. I hate the NFC South. No offense to any of your teams out there. I hate them, and if it would be fine with me if those games were never on television again because every time they play, I have no idea what's going to happen.
0: There's still a path somehow, some way, with all these complex situation or scenarios in the NFC South for the Falcons to win it. But the Bucks, like, I know that they could have clinched it yesterday. Instead, they end up losing 23 13 to the New Orleans Saints at home. They can still lock it up in week 18. Um, they'll have Carolina at home, but Carolina, as we know, a very,
2: a very, very but much Like, a struggle again, it's the NFC South. Season. I they know could it's not win. great quarterback. They could win.
0: Way. They could win.
2: The, the NFC South is just throw it up in the air and we'll see what happens.
0: It is. And that is uh, not great football, but. At least it creates compelling matchups going down the stretch of the season. Giving you our NFL takeaways from Week 17 here on Unsportsmanlike. Courtney Kernan and Matt Jones sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle on the first of the year. The Eagles are a first-round exit. I'm sorry. This team, which won one game in the month of December, they've lost four of their last five. Jalen Hurts continues to turn the ball over despite getting his weapons involved yesterday in ways that we had not seen from this offense that grown stagnant. I mean, they were barely able to score 20 points in a couple of those losses that I mentioned. They're rolling. They have a 21-6 lead at halftime. And then what happens? They throw the game away. This is not a team that's going to go far in the postseason. It's a team that is so far from where they were a year ago getting into the Super Bowl, losing the Super Bowl, Defense has regressed. The offense has regressed. I believe that the coaching, in a lot of ways, has regressed too because on the other side of that matchup against the Cardinals was Jonathan Gannon, the one who came into Philadelphia to beat his old team, the former Eagles defensive coordinator. And they had to rally from a lot yesterday in the second half. Kyler Murray having one of his best performances of the year, putting up a season-high number of yards for this offense. This was a big win for Arizona. Their season's not going anywhere, but it looks pretty clear that the Philadelphia Eagles season isn't going anywhere either and this will be an early exit in the wild card round.
2: Yeah, I won't go with you on the early exit. They're going to end up playing the team from the AFC, or excuse me, the NFC South, and whether it's the Saints, the Falcons, or the Bucks, I think they'll win that game. But your overall point about them not being what they were last year, I totally agree with. I mean, this you saw yesterday. They should have been able to put that game away way before they did. They allow Arizona to come back. They beat them. But it goes back to what I was saying about randomness of this year. All right, so let's just look at their playoff path. There's a good chance they'll play the team from the South. I think they win that. Then they end up playing the 49ers. I think they probably lose that game, but we've also seen them battle with the 49ers. So why not? I think there's actually a chance. The the NFC is going to be a flip a coin, and you're going to have a situation where Dallas and Detroit, two teams that I don't think any of us believe in, one of those two teams is going to probably be in the NFC championship game the way the bracket will play out. So I think it's going to be fascinating and literally you could give me a case for any of the top 4 and I probably could make it.
0: I don't know if they ran into San Francisco after that 42-19 defeat that they had earlier in the year. I don't I didn't see any battle happening in that game. I don't know if we were watching the same game. I think that it would probably end up playing out the same way. But do you the really think way? there's no don't way
2: don't they trust could them win at all.
0: I don't trust them at all. You don't Matt? think there's
2: any way they could win that game?
0: I, not with the way the 49ers are playing. They had their get-right game on the road in Washington yesterday. Dallas is probably going to lock up the NFC East because they've got the commanders in Week 18. The only way that Philly would be able to do that is if Dallas loses and then they go beat the Giants, a team that they were neck and neck with. I mean, you brought up that Rams game. I don't know what this is from the New York Giants right now, playing close with good teams that are in the playoffs, which they would have done that earlier in the year. But I think that Philly – is already thinking ahead to 2024. At least they should be because this is a team that started out 10-1 and and ultimately collapsed. The month of December is one that I wish—I bet they wish they could punt into the sun. They make the change at the defensive play caller position. There's a reported infighting happening in the locker room. You've got the quarterback calling out the team for not being committed enough. Where's the head coach in all of this? I haven't heard from Nick Sirianni trying to right the ship, but at this point I think that this Philadelphia Eagles team uh, – Thankfully, they started off hot. They put themselves in position for the postseason. I don't think we're going to be talking about them wild card weekend for as open as the NFC playoff picture currently is. But we're talking about them here on Unsportsmanlike. We will get into more of what happened in that 35 31 loss to the Arizona Cardinals in week 17, the fourth of five. Loss, fourth loss in their last five games for the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that I don't trust. I don't know about you. 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. What are your thoughts on that? What are your other thoughts from the rest of the Week 17 slate? But coming up next, we've got college football action right here on our airwaves ESPN radio throughout the day. We'll tell you what we've learned from some of these bowl games that we've already seen, plus how we can fix some of the issues that have popped up over the last couple of weeks as it pertains to these bowl games. It's coming up next on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
4: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any.
0: ESPN Radio, as you covered for bowl game action, tune in today for the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, followed by the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. And the college football semifinals at the Rose Bowl and All State Sugar Bowl coverage beginning twelve thirty p m Eastern time on ESPN radio and over on the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, and Matt Jones sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle. They will be back tomorrow to break down all the national championship game action that we will find out about today. lot on the line here, but we've already seen some bowl games that have drawn up a conversation in the last couple of days. the Ohio State lost to Missouri, and then of course. I don't even know if drubbing is the right adjective to describe what Georgia did to Florida State, Matt. So if you have a better word to use here, by all means, throw it out there. But that 63-3 to three final in the Orange Bowl illustrated what some people believe is a big issue in college football. That the opt-outs, that players jumping into the transfer portal needs to be stopped. That there has to be some way to fix this. But... The anomaly that this is for Florida State without 29 scholarship players, they were down to their third string at just about every position. And for Ohio State, also in a similar situation, Marvin Harrison Jr. opting out because he's going to the NFL, preparing for that. And then, of course, Kyle McCord, their quarterback from this season, jumping into the transfer portal before the game that they played at the Cotton Bowl. It. There's a conversation here, but I'm not so sure that it's just not limited to, like, these two games and these handful of teams that we've seen be affected by the transfer portal, by the opt-outs and all of the things that we saw that depleted their roster in these bowl games.
2: I I, I don't really understand this conversation. Let's just be clear. Florida State quit. They quit, all right? And they quit from the moment they didn't make the playoff. Now, you can argue they should have made the playoff. I don't. I think the right team made it. But if you want to make the Florida State argument, that's fine. But once that happened, they quit. Their coach quit. They sued – they're attempting to sue the ACC, sue the playoff committee. Politicians got involved. And the message to their team was, this game doesn't matter. We got – you know, they screwed us, so we're quitting. And they showed it on the field. 63-3, to the worst bowl drubbing in history. I said this online, and I mean it. There's no version of Alabama whether it's their second string, their third string, or their fourth string that would get beaten by 60 points. Just wouldn't happen ever in any scenario. Florida State quit. Now that's their right if they want to. But this idea that we have to change everything because Florida State quit, to me, is ridiculous. Are there too many opt-outs? It's to everybody's own opinion. To me, if the guys want to opt-out, that's fine. What I think is more interesting are the people that don't opt-out. Georgia didn't opt-out. They won two national championships, believed they should be in the playoff, and they came out and played. Year before, Alabama, after making a number of playoffs, doesn't make it. Uh, uh, Will Anderson and Bryce Young come back and play. I think that says more about those programs, and then you can talk about what it says about Florida State. There are things that need to be fixed in college football, but a lot of bowl games are very exciting. Ask Tennessee and Iowa if they want to play today. Ask Wisconsin or LSU if they want to play today. Bo Nix is coming back to play against Liberty. Liberty! And he's showing up to play. Just because Florida State quit, Courtney, doesn't mean that everybody else quit and we need to tear the whole system down.
0: You can't paint it with a broad stroke. I think that that's as disingenuous as people saying that Florida State, if the old iteration of Florida State, the one that did not have Jordan Travis but would have had Tate Rotemaker at quarterback, if that full team minus Jordan Travis would have played in the CFP that they would have gotten smoked as well. And that's a completely disingenuous argument. The roster then looks a lot different than the roster now, but it's almost like you're damned. If you do damned, if you don't with the transfer portal, and that's something that Mike Norvell, Unlike some other coaches, I mean, we we know how Dabo Swinney feels about it, Clemson getting its bowl win by going the traditional model, or at least the old model in college sports or in college football, versus what Mike Norvell did. He built that team on transfer transfer portal players. Those are players who are going to, at the end of the day, do what's best for them. That's the reason they jumped into the transfer portal in the first place. So if you're going to build your team on that, you can't be upset – when those t- sorts of players, their makeup, their character decides that they want to go do something for number one before the team. Like, so often in college nowadays, teams are built this way because that's the easiest path to success. That's the easiest way to get a position right after somebody either graduates, gets injured, you need to make a change there. But there's also consequence that comes with that. And I don't know if changing all of the rules within college football, I I wouldn't mind personally seeing the transfer portal window pushed back a little bit. I know that that would end up messing up the December recruiting calendar because of when the signing period is. But it does... It does make me think that this is not something that is like a widespread issue, that not all teams are taking college football bowl games seriously. Like, you're right. We have seen a lot of exciting games. Look at the Pop Tarts Bowl and that finish be- with Kansas State walking away eating the edible mascot. I mean, there's the fanfare around the bowl games that matter, there's the actual play in these bowl games that matter too. And by and large, the quality this year, I think, has been outstanding. We it gives yeah, us something to you. watch, and it's a good product. Minus one game that just happened to be for a national audience in a primetime spot that didn't turn out the way that any of us had hoped.
2: And I think that actually happens quite a bit in those games for this reason: the teams that end up playing in the in the the Power Five, like top games, whatever they're called, the you know the the New Year's Six or whatever it is. The teams that make those games and don't make the playoff are usually disappointed that the season wasn't what they wanted. So you get results like last year Tulane beat USC because USC didn't really want to be there. That's the way it goes. That's been going on for a long time. But you're exactly right. NC State, Kansas State was a great game. My team, Kentucky and Clemson, that was a great game in the Gator Bowl. Like I said, I think Tennessee-Iowa will be a great game today in the Citrus Bowl. Florida State, for the exact reason you articulated – Got a group of guys who weren't as committed to Florida State. That's fine. I don't judge those guys. They can do what they want. But then you might get a situation where they quit. Whereas Georgia and Alabama, who for the most part build their programs from within, there is an ethos there that you keep going and you see it in the the bowl game. So to me – I, I wish those guys had played, but the last thing I want to see college football I don't know if I'm sure you've seen this Courtney. The ratings for these games are higher than they've been in ten or fifteen years, and for people to decide that now is the time for us to 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 change all this because Florida State quit Florida State set up a narrative where no matter what happened, they were right. If they came out and beat Georgia, well, they should have been in the playoff. They come out and take the biggest loss in the history of bowls, and then they go, well, it's because we're not in the playoff. You made it to where you win either way, and I'm just not buying it.
0: I was banging the Florida State drum after December 3rd when that decision was made, and I think a lot of people were because they did everything they needed to do to get into the CFP, and that's a conversation that we've already had. But for this roster to come apart at the seams the way that it did – It feels like a spoiled attitude from players. Yes, well, Because we're not getting to play for a national championship, the season doesn't matter. Obviously, that's not the attitude shared by every single player on that team. But to be without 29 scholarship players, not all of those guys are opting out going to the NFL. Some of those players saying, man, bump this. I don't think this is enough to play for. When you're playing in a game, this is the Orange Bowl. This isn't... A nondescript bowl game that's happening in the middle of December, which, by the way, some of those games, like the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, end up actually being really fun to watch, and you have players playing for something just because they're not playing for a national championship doesn't mean that it doesn't matter it's an entitled attitude that florida state players carried into this game again against uh, against georgia who had the full compliments by and large some injuries here and there but the full compliments of their roster georgia won two national championships they didn't come into this and say well we don't have anything to play for we're just going to quit or we're going to end up not you know not having majority of our roster cuz we're going to opt out they went into this and they took care of business they showed the committee without any shadow of a doubt that hey and we know we won't have this issue when it's a 12-team playoff, but we should have been one of those four teams, in our mind, in the CFP, playing today instead of playing on Saturday. Florida State can't say the same about them. All right, straight ahead, back into the NFL. Did Lamar Jackson lock up the MVP in Week 17? We discuss on like ESPN Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and
3: Michelle. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America.